G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Welcome back to our mini-series on the Reformation, as James mentioned. The Reformation, how do you remember that? It's that movement, really, which began on October the 31st, 1517. 500 years, it'll be in two days' time. 500 500 years, it's not every day that you get to say that. Um, October the 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther posted his 95 theses, his bullet points or criticisms of of the Roman Catholic Church in his day, uh, their thought and their practice, uh, and especially the way that the church muddied the otherwise crystal clear gospel, saving gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with muck like their indulgences and buying your way out of purgatory, as James has already described to us, um, playing as it did, no doubt, on the anxieties of men and women about their own eternity, that of their loved ones and what had happened to them, uh, in order to line the pockets of Rome, build its basilicas, fund its wars and all the rest. Um, here's another little story from Johann Tetzel's little trade in indulgences, these letters uh, that allegedly secured your forgiveness from God. Um, the thing was, the indulgences, that, that transaction occurred um, allegedly quite apart from your inner attitude to God, didn't particularly matter, that didn't influence their effectiveness, quite apart from anything you did or Jesus or faith or attitude or behaviour or anything. You buy this and it'll get you or your loved one out of punishment. Anyway, the, the historian Carter Lindbergh wrote it like this, this little story. He says, the story goes that after Tetzel made a large sum of money from indulgences in Leipzig, you know, in Germany, the city, after Tetzel made a large sum of money from indulgences in Leipzig, a nobleman approached him and asked if he could buy an indulgence for a future sin. Enterprising young man. Um, can you guess what that noble nobleman might have been thinking of as he thought to buy cover or indulgence for what he was maybe thinking of doing? Could I buy an indulgence for a future sin? Tetzel agreed upon the basis of an immediate payment When Tetzel departed from Leipzig, the nobleman attacked and robbed him with the comment that this was the future sin he had in mind. Uh, Folks, the people of Luther's day, they were being had by spiritually hollow promises to their eternal ruin and Luther, looking out uh, around the people of Germany at the time, hated to see this religious emptiness the hypocrisy unfold before his very eyes uh, and on his watch as one of the leaders in his church in the lives of his fellow Germans. They were being had, all the while, these greedy religious hypocrites, these leaders, passed over the saving gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ where real forgiveness and grace and hope were to be found, passed over the gospel and for what? Uh, And so he wrote his 95 theses. I'd like to read just a few of them to us. Number one, here's number one of 95, uh, where Luther writes, Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, 
in saying, repent ye. So when Jesus says repent, he intended that the whole life of believers should be penitence. That's number one. Number two, he says this word, repentance, cannot be understood as meaning the confession box and satisfaction which are performed under the ministry of the priests. All right, so Luther's saying, when Jesus talks about repentance, he didn't just mean go to church and, and, and perform the little rituals with the priest. It's got to be in your heart. But number three, it does not refer solely, however, to solely to inward penitence. Nay, such inward penitence is naught unless it is outwardly producing various mortifications of the flesh. And I think we'd agree with that, wouldn't we? Genuine repentance, yes, it's an inner thing, but it will mean a changed life. And in the language there, mortification of the flesh, killing sin. Your Christian life will look different and actually changed if you're following the way of repentance and faith that Jesus calls us to. Number four, I'll just paraphrase this one because it's obscure old language. Uh, Luther assures us that we're going to need to keep repenting for our entire lives. We're not there yet until our entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And so about indulgences, number five, he gets down to business and Luther boldly says, the Pope has neither the will nor the power to remit any penalties except those which he has imposed by his own authority or by that of the canons. And let me paraphrase number six, Luther contends that unless the Pope or anyone under him is offering pardon and forgiveness through the gospel of Jesus alone, then they have no place and no power to declare any such forgiveness for anyone. He gets straight down to it. This is the document that changed history, folks. Luther was saying this, guys, what is unfolding in our day is a shameful, hollow parade of religious hypocrisy at its worst and it is landing people in hell. And yet all the while, these people think that they're headed for heaven. How about we pray as we come to God's word to us in Luke chapter 11. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, we are genuinely thankful to you, our God, for the way that you have brought the truth to us, the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Uh, we thank you, Father, that it has reached our ears right from the days of Christ all the way down to today. And we do wonder, Father, as we think about church history today, had we been born in a different time, in a different age, in a different place, under different teaching or with a different heritage, who knows whether we'd have heard the gospel. Father, thank you for the Reformation in the 16th century and for all that's flowed from it since. And we ask, Father, that in our day, we'd apply ourselves to understanding the truth of the gospel. But more than that, that we'd apply ourselves to actually believing it, to living it, that whole of life repentance that Christ calls us to. God, would you spare us, please, from being or becoming or perhaps even remaining hollow religious shells. Spare us that, O oh God, and would you teach us a better way, a fuller way, the way of faith in Christ Jesus our Lord, and in his name we ask it. Amen. Uh, could I just ask someone to close that door? It may not be distracting anyone else, but the, uh, the kids are having so much fun in there. I, I fear that we're all just going to want to go and join in Sunday school. Thanks, Peter. Luke 11, if you're following along in your Bible, verse 37, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. 
So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Um, that wasn't an Old Testament law, by the way, although the Pharisees, the religious um, kind of experts in their day, uh, they had a bunch of rules about washing and so forth. Verse 39, then the Lord, that is Jesus said to him, the Pharisee, Jesus said to the Pharisee, now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Uh, Folks, isn't part of the reason that we are so disgusted really and appalled at the indulgences and buying your way to heaven and so forth or at Tetzel um, or even at that enterprising nobleman um, as much as we might admire his courage in some ways. It's disgusting what he did there, right? Uh, We're disgusted by these things, appalled at their wickedness, horrified at what they were carrying on there and isn't part of the reason that we have that reaction because we each have a particularly acute radar for religious hypocrisy, I think especially in our day. Is that fair to say? We live in an age uh, and perhaps a culture where religious hypocrisy occupies a prime place in our sort of hit list of sins to avoid and things. We, we can't even stand the smell of it in our days and I think that's a good thing, by the way. So from time to time we get stuck in conversation with some uh, person that we discover is, is I don't know, just sound like a religious hypocrite, uh, or we stumble across some dreadful article on social media or whatever, uh, someone whose whole posture is high and mighty, they strike this condescending, arrogant kind of a tone, and we just want out. We can't bear to finish the article, or we do against our better judgment, and we find ourselves getting more and more worked up as we kind of read our way through. But then as we turn to Luke 11, folks, and we encounter these Pharisees and in a few moments these experts, these teachers of the law, may I ask something of us? Because, um, yes, there's no question that these men drip with religious hypocrisy. Uh, Jesus says it right there, doesn't he? Um, They're a sham. You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Uh, But folks, here's my request of us this morning. May I ask of us, please, to hear in the words of Jesus to this pack of hypocrites, not a chant for you to join in with. Woe, woe, woe to you, Pharisees and teachers of the law, but a challenge for us to take on the chin. Uh, What do I mean by that? I mean simply this. The irony, of course, is, folks, that as churchgoers, I mean, you're here at church, (laughs) As religious people, whether or not you particularly like that label, um, whether or not you uh, feel that you desire to have that reputation of being religious, the irony is that if we line up alongside Jesus, pointing the finger, tearing a strip off them, then ironically, of course, uh, we've adopted the very posture that we so despise, haven't we? Um, Much better, I think, to hear in these six steps, six woes, sorry, to hear in them six steps or six warnings, six ways to ensure that you never become that guy or that gal. Uh, Could we approach it like that? Six ways to never become that guy, the religious hypocrite. 
uh, and to turn your life around if maybe you're slipping that way, whether you realise it or not, or feel a bit hollow from time to time and it troubles you. Well, six ways, here we go. So here's your six-part guide to never becoming the hollow man or woman, that spiritually empty shell. Uh, Let's review it in six steps, the six woes. Uh, We'll move through them fairly quickly and I wonder which of them... Uh, do you and do I particularly need to hear this morning? We'll roll through them fairly quickly. Here's number one. Give him, that is give God, give him your heart and not just your herbs. That's there in verse 42. Take a look with me. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice And the love of God, you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. The background here, of course, is giving 10%. That was part of the law for the Jews to be giving 10% of all of their produce. And they they were right down to the detail, weren't they? Herbs and mint and rue and so forth. Can you perhaps imagine a person whose life, whose life looks very neat and tidy? You know, they've got them all, all of it lined up. You know, they've got their, they're, they're picking out the, the, the mint and the rue, so to speak, in their lives. Can you imagine a person whose life looks very neat and tidy? Everyone would say so, but whose heart just isn't there for God when you scratch a little beneath the surface. Do you know anyone like that? Or maybe you can't think of anyone right now, but have you ever known someone like that? But they, they, everything seemed to be in order on the surface. They were carrying along so well for so, and then everything fell apart and, and the muck came out. You started to see beneath. I bet you can. The person who, yeah, I can jump through the hoops. Doesn't take long to figure out what an acceptable Christian life looks like. But inwardly, am I driven by what's right because God loves it, because I love God and trust Him with my life and my decisions? because I've found him to be a good Lord to me. I think we can diagnose that one in our prayer lives, can't we? We know it when that's there in our prayer lives. That's number one. Number two, leave behind your reputation and concentrate on being real for once. Luke 11 verse 43, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Um, I, I really, um, one of the reasons I used to enjoy Robin Williams films, remember the late Robin Williams? That grin that he had. Uh, one of the reasons I used to so enjoy Robin Williams films is that this was the only character he ever played. Uh, well, almost, anyway, the, the only, oh, I think the role that he played best. Uh, it's people who sacrificed their reputation and they were just real with people. They were just honest, didn't care about their rec- reputation and time after time the fussy, fuddy-duddy couldn't stand him or sacked him or hated him or whatever it was. So do you remember, for instance, the English teacher in Dead Poets Society that Robin Williams played in that? film, beautiful, wonderful man uh, that he played there and he was what? He was sacked because he actually helped his class fall in love with English literature rather than teach the stuffy syllabus that his superiors wanted him to. Or the doctor in Patch Adams, you remember him in that with the nose and all of that get up, who clowned around. Why? Because 
He believed in enriching the quality of life for people who were facing death. People like that are refreshing. Are we people like that? Number three. Number three, you should, you should be life to the people that you come across and not death. It sounds very dramatic, doesn't it? Verse 44, take a look there with me. Uh, Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves which men walk over without knowing it. Uh, And just notice here, folks, uh, yes, these are about the inner life of the hypocrite, aren't they? But they're actually a lot about the social life, the impact that these people are having on the people around them, these Pharisees and so forth. Uh, And there's a test here about the impact that our lives have on the people around us. Now, uh, this is a strange one. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves which men walk over without knowing it. What's he talking about there? I suspect the background to this one, these unmarked graves, is that the Jews, because of the law, were rather particular about coming into contact with dead bodies. Um, That was uh, throughout the law, actually. It was one of the many things that made you unclean and for a time cut you off from access to God at the temple, contact uh, with the dead. And so not only are these folks, these Pharisees, Jesus is saying, dead in themselves, but they actually drain the life from the unwitting people that they brush up against. Are we spiritual life to the people in our lives? Uh, Number four, and just notice the switch now to the teachers. Uh, The Pharisees um, weren't necessarily the teachers of the law, they were the experts in it by their behaviour, uh, but now we turn, there's a little turn here, verse 45, one of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Don't think he was expecting verse 46, was he? Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. So here's number four, help them out. Don't just heap it on. Uh, perhaps our mind here should go to those, um, those moments in even church life where we're disappointed by what she's doing or we can't believe the way he carried on or they, the, the, the terrible decisions that they are making at the moment. her, him, they, all at arm's length, do you see? Without coming first with compassion. How can I help? How can I get alongside you? I can see that you're struggling with that. Number five, I said we were going to move through pretty quickly. Number five, God's Word, Jesus is saying, God's Word is for listening and living and not just for sentimental ceremony. Uh, See what you make of this one, it's the longer one there, because at first... Doesn't it sound like the teachers of the law are doing a good thing in this little passage here? Building tombs for the prophets sounds, oh no, it sounds holy, it sounds dedicated. Uh, But I think Jesus is making the point, prophets aren't just quaint relics from the past. Uh, They were spokespersons for God. And so the real way to honour a prophet is actually to listen to the word that God spoke to you through them, not to doll up their tombs. No, the prophet's not going to be pleased by ignoring their words and making a museum piece out of them. Verse 47, woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets and you build their tombs. 
Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I'll send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they'll kill and others they'll persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that's been shed since the beginning of the world from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. The question here for us is, do we heed God's word and do we live by it? Um, or, or are there parts of God's word, and, and we know it, where we know what it says? Yeah, just won't listen. Oh, I bought a new Bible last week from Coorong, but I already know there are bits in there that I'm not going to do. Don't want to hear it. Number six, lastly, sixth woe, sixth way to learn how not to be a religious hypocrite is this. Number six, open the door for others. Uh, the door to God, that is. Open the door for others. Don't close it for everyone. Are they and are we so caught up in anything but the simple, clear gospel that no one's going to find God amongst us or through us or by us in the words that we say and the actions that we carry on with? Uh, this one to me, this is the most damning of all, I think. Verse 52, Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. And so it's no surprise to us, is it? Verse 53, when Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Uh, may I just say, I fear, I actually fear that self-righteousness and hollow spiritual lives, uh, the religious veneer with nothing but hollowness beneath, I fear it, it is a perennial spiritual problem, isn't it? Even in the church today, as we look around the world, it's not just something that we look back 500 years and go, oh, that was a problem back then for them. No, isn't it true today in the church? A disease to which we have no immunity, would you agree? Because look at the pattern here, folks. These were respectable people. I know that we get used to thinking of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law as the bad guys, the black hat guys in, in the Western films, and we're just waiting for the hero to ride in and we know who that is, that's going to be Jesus. Uh, but, no, no, folks, these were the respected people, admired leaders, self-disciplined role models, mature, learned men and women, steeped in noble traditions. Yep, says Jesus, full of greed and wickedness, hindering those who are entering, devoid of the love of God inside. How do you avoid that? How do you even diagnose that kind of a sickness? Because it looks right from the outside. That's the whole point. It looks right. And what do you do if you feel it creeping in on you? You know, as you feel the hollowness, that gap between a heart that loves the Lord, that gap between a heart that loves the Lord and listens to Him and, and breathes life into the people around you in your life, uh, leads them to Jesus. The gap between that... And we, we sang it before, didn't we? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Can I tell you a secret? The secret is not the six steps. 
The solution is not just avoid these six woes, these six pitfalls. And I say that particularly, um, I think, to my own generation, really, because my own generation loves a how-to guide, loves... I mean, we've just got self-help books for every conceivable lifestyle malfunction out there in my generation. We lap them up. We've got a guide for renovating and repairing every unfortunate corner that you might have backed yourself into in life. Fills the bookshelves at the moment. No, the place to find wholeness, the path to a fullness that drives back and drives out that spiritual hollowness and the hypocrisy and the horror that lurks within, Jesus tells us in verse 33, uh, it's that he is the light that fills hearts and heads, that makes them whole, that undoes hypocrisy, that fills up the hollowness. Luke 11 verse 33, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. He's talking about his own teaching. He's talking about himself, his own ministry. Verse 33, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are bad, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be completely lighted as when the light of a lamp shines on you. Do you see? The, The solution to spiritual hollowness and the safeguard for our lives against empty hypocrisy uh, this, this might surprise some of us, actually. It isn't about keeping your distance from church. That's funny, isn't it? Because I think that's... Isn't that something that some folks try from time to time? Or, or not taking your religion too seriously? Do you ever see that in folks? Um, they don't want to be branded religious. They don't, you know, they don't like that term, you're a religious person, which is fair enough. I understand there are connotations to it. But they don't want to be branded religious or too serious about their Christianity. So, well, we just don't see them very often here on Sunday morning. You invite them to Bible study, they never come. You ask them... No, no, the most whole, the most honest, the most spiritual guy to ever have walked the earth is telling us how to avoid becoming a religious hypocrite. Let his light into your life. (laughs) Let it fill your life. Will you do that? So, folks, let's, let's, uh, let's finish with this. I came across this beautiful way of putting it by a bloke named Daryl Bock, and he put it like this. He says, um, if the eye brings in light, he's talking about this metaphor, he means if you absorb Jesus, if you saturate your life with Jesus, with his words, with his gospel, if you drink in his teaching... Uh, if he is the light by which you walk in your life, if the eye brings in light, he says, the whole person glows. But this happens only if the eye is healthy, if it takes in spiritual truth. Glowing as people for Jesus in the world. That is quite a thought, isn't it? Therefore, verse 36, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be completely lighted as when the light of a lamp shines on you. Folks, the heart-rending tragedy of the medieval church in Luther's day, 
you know what it was? It wasn't the indulgences. They were a symptom, but they were not the disease. No, the heart-rending tragedy of Luther's day wasn't merely that clerics and priests and indulgent sellers obscured the gospel, though they absolutely did that. It's that they didn't even know the gospel. They didn't even have it. They didn't glow because they, they had no light within, just darkness. So far had the church drifted, so hollow had the establishment become, so dead and lifeless, dark and closed, unmarked graves that men walk over without knowing. Could have been said of Luther's day. Taken away the key of knowledge and hindered those who were entering God's kingdom. Could have been said of Luther's day. But by contrast, if the eye brings in light, the whole person glows. So may we, Good News Christian Church, may we be Christ's people who glow with the gospel of Christ, which not only fends off and fills up our own hollowness, but offers the only light for those who are still in the dark. How about we pray together? Our great God, would you use our lives, would you fill our hearts for the glory of Jesus in this dark world, we ask please. Father, we know something, each of us, of the darkness, of the hollowness, that sham uh, veneer of a religion. We know what it is to appear one thing to the watching world when what lies beneath is a whole lot more complicated and perhaps even more, a more embarrassing and troubling mess. Father, we need the work of your mighty spirit, O oh God, to shine the light of your word into even the deep recesses of our hearts and we ask, would you do that, please? God, may our lives be lives of repentance, as Luther described. Lives not only of outward show, uh, nor just of inner pondering, actually, but whole lives crafted by your Spirit to the glory of your Son. And Father, as we, your children, tend sometimes from time to time to mere outward observance again or pride in how we appear or loveless laying down of rules and expectations without lifting a finger to help others, may we come back to the light of Christ. Would you fill our imagination for real living with his gospel, with him as our hope, with him as our guide, with him as our light for the path ahead. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.